Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome to the Ringer Prestige TV pod. I'm Chris Ryan. I am joined by Van Lathan. We are the Greyhound Gang, and we are here to talk to you about No Weddings and a Funeral, the 10th episode of the second season of Ted Lasso. Van, what's going on, man? Woof, woof. Woof, woof, babe. How are you? I'm I'm into this. I'm glad, because a lot of the season two haters are starting to eat a little crow. Yeah? You think so? Yeah, You think I that the, definitely the do. worm is turning for Ted season two? I think it definitely is. I think this is another incredibly strong episode that dealt with a lot of different storylines in a very coherent, loving, with a loving touch. Um, And it really, to me, highlights some of what's best about the show. Okay, great. Well, we're going to get into it. I think you could probably just have easily as called this, uh, as called it, called this episode Children of Men. (laughs) Mm. What did you make of what was at once like one of the heaviest episodes of the series, but one that was not without its like cheesy moments of levity? Uh, I think that's, Kind of what Ted Lasso is. I mm-hmm. think this is one of the episodes that's sort of emblematic of what the show tries to do. It tries to wrap you up in what life actually is. And as we know, life can be a bunch of bullshit sometimes. But it tries to give you a blueprint on how to like wrap that bullshit up in a brioche bun to make it a little easier to eat. You know what I mean? And so you, you're dealing with a lot of heavy things. You're dealing with death. Uh, two different characters coming to terms with death. Ted uh-huh. coming to terms with a death that is decades old. Rebecca dealing with a death that's very, very fresh. And so when you're looking at this, you're trying to figure out, okay, well, in the midst of death, how do you still live life? What's there for you to glom onto? I thought one of the most beautiful things was sort of what happened between Rebecca and her mom because part of them was dead. Mm-hmm. There was a part that they that had ceased to exist. They weren't talking about it. There was the space between them that felt like eternity. And at the end, by living it, by going through the pain of it, by getting through it, uh, you know, the only way around is through, he got to a point to where they could, like, get rigged together at the end of the episode. And I think that's what Ted Lasso is trying to do. Even down to Danny, Danny's uncomfortable the entire episode, and they keep going back to that. And I think that's genius because... Some of these things are uncomfortable. Sometimes your shoes are too tight, you know, but your shoes have to be too tight in order for you to get relief when you put on the fuzzy slippers. So I really was inspired by it. Yeah, I mean, I think that the never going to give you up stuff is kind of this series in a nutshell. And you you reference people coming and going with this second season and whether there had been a little bit of a, you know, a blowback to it. It's like you either are there for it or you're not. 
Never going to give you up sung at a funeral either breaks through your kind of defense mechanism or mm -hmm. it doesn't. And if it doesn't, then that's totally fine. If you're like, I just can't, I just can't believe that this would happen or this is too corny or this is too trite or whatever. I think that's okay. For me, it worked. I think it works because the writing is actually pretty high level here and it's thematically really coherent and it actually is pretty thought provoking while also being very entertaining, which I think when TV can do that, it's at its best. So like Sudeikis has casually tossed off a couple of times that he saw this second season of Ted Lasso as its Empire Strikes Back season, which you know you could read in a bunch of different ways. You could be like, is that, does that mean it's going to be a really dark season before the dawn? But if you think about Empire Strikes Back about is essentially about a kid coming to terms with who his father is. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening in this season for a couple of different people. I think, like you mentioned, it's happening for Ted and he recounts his father's suicide in this episode. It happens for Rebecca, who's dealing with her father's recent passing. And in some ways, like Rupert's reappearance, you know, and he's trying to be like, I'm absolved from all past trespasses because I have a kid now, because I'm a father now. So I have a father, so I have perspective now. So do I get a pass? And then obviously, even though it's like kind of the fifth or sixth subplot in this episode, is the Nate stuff is still kind of brewing under the surface. Yeah. And Nate is obviously somebody whose his place in this story is largely triggered by or propelled by or it's created by his complicated relationship with his father, who's not dead, but is still like is like the sort of shaping who he is. It's interesting. So we watch all these movies and you watch all these movies and like if somebody dies and somebody gets up there and they give a speech and they have the right words to say, or they didn't know that they could say the right words, right? They were scared. But then when they got up there, miraculously inspiration mm -hmm. hit them and they push through whatever sort of barriers were there and they say exactly what needed to be said. In my opinion, that is as unrealistic and as fantastical as singing Never Gonna Give You Up at a funeral. It's yeah. the same thing. I recently had to give one of those speeches. And you know what I did? I told a story. And the reason why I told the story is because I just wasn't ready to contextualize my father's entire life. So I just told a story of him and I's relationship and got some chuckles and got some laughs. I got up there and I just escaped. I pulled that old Van Lathan, Houdini, press a dissertation. I'm out. You know, here's the charm. Look at it. I'm out the back door. And so when I saw the scene, I was like, yo, that to me, it felt real. Right. It felt like, hey, like, look, I would never start singing because that's not my thing. But singing is her thing. Telling stories is mine. So for me, I didn't have so much of an issue with that. It's interesting what you say about fatherhood, about the Empire Strikes Back, because all of these things are essentially about loose ends. And some loose ends, like, they get to be so frazzled that we hang ourselves with the loose ends. Like, think about it. In Empire, not telling the kid that his dad is the most evil motherfucker <laughs> in the universe, that's a pretty big loose end. Yeah. And just to stay there for a second, I think Luke handled it pretty well. Sure. Like, he freaked out for one second. No, that's not true. And then beyond that, he was pretty good. I'd have been like, hey, Obi, <laughs> I know you can hear me. I need a week and a half because that's a lot. Um, and so watching the episode, even between Jamie and Keely, like that's a huge loose end. It's a huge loose end that they were in that relationship for a long time. He was such a dick to her. He leaves. He comes back. He's a nice guy, but 
they never in any way have any sort of, well, hey, I wish you would have been this sort of nice guy when I was around. You know what I mean? So yeah. when I view the episode through that lens, I think it was probably one of the most important ones in the history of the show because we're finally getting to a place to where we're getting off of some of the storylines that have been established and moving on to how these characters are going to be. That's why I think the Nate thing is going to be so uh, intriguing to watch because after all the dust settles from all of this other stuff, and of course you still have Sam and Rebecca and what's going to happen there, Nate might rise up to be your new Darth Vader. He That might be the thing that threatens to pull the Greyhounds apart uh, in the next couple of shows. Yeah, I mean, I think in the first time, first time we chatted, we talked about how there was maybe a lack of, or at least there had been le less attention paid to the fortunes of Richmond. Which, you know, as somebody who watches a lot of English soccer, like, I know that teams in that division and around that, like, it's pretty precarious. Like, if you are doing poorly in that division, like, the whole franchise can actually, like, collapse if you get relegated out of the championship, which is where Richmond is supposed to be playing in the season. So the last sort of few moments of this show before Rebecca and her mom go back and, and watch the video is like, we do see Rupert come over to Nate and it's out of earshot. So Rebecca can't hear what they're saying. But after Rupert's like, take my shares, he goes up to Nate and says something and is like, kind of obviously, I think we're supposed to take like, Rupert's not being on the level. He's not being as gregarious as he's pretending to be. And that Nate might have something to do with his future plans for the football club. So that is like in the background. But we can keep with the stuff that's in the foreground. I, I like what you're saying about the funeral. I mean, my dad passed away 10 years ago this fall. So I also did a speech. I kind of remember what I said. I mean, I'm sure if I asked my mom, I'd be like, well, what exactly did I say? But like that entire time, I was just having an out-of-body experience. You're just like... It's nuts. Yeah. You're just like, oh, I'm watching a movie about what would happen if my dad died. Yeah. And you're like, and I'm the character walking around and I'm finding a suit and I'm writing something down on an index card and I'm going to this, I'm standing up in front of all these people and saying stuff. And a lot of what this season has kind of been about to me has been about these characters who are very like, I wouldn't say that we talked about this caricature versus character thing, but Ted Lasso is a cartoon character from the mm -hmm. mustache to the sneakers to the effervescent attitude. So to watch him having a panic attack and then pretty in pretty grisly detail discuss his father's death is like basically being like, I can't always perform as Ted Lasso. Or if you, you don't know, but like there's actually a lot more to me here than the person who's just in the locker room or the person who's just bringing you biscuits every day. And I thought that that was pretty effective, this scene. I also really loved how they cut back and forth between Ted's reminiscence and Rebecca's reminiscence because mm -hmm. they're not the same thing. You know, Ted's father's death and Rebecca's father's infidelity are not necessarily the same thing. But it just kind of was like illustrative of your personal pain is your personal pain. <laughs> and it shapes mm -hmm. you the way it shapes you. And you don't really have any control over that. And once you get away from the bullshit, nobody really has anything to say about how you should feel about something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if yeah. Rebecca was traumatized by her father's infidelity... It's going to have lifelong effects just the same way Ted's father's passing did for his. Absolutely. And I always wondered why Ted is the way that he is. And we finally got the explanation in this episode. He has to be that way. Like, he's not going to quit on anyone because that's what his dad did. Yeah. And Rebecca doesn't really want to let people get super duper close to her because she witnessed what her father did. And then it happened to her. So think about what she's gone through and like what she is and who she is 
And maybe some of the reasons why, obviously, it would hurt to have a spouse do something like that to you. But think about how doubly it must have hurt for her uh, watching this happen, knowing that her father had put her mother through the same thing. And then, you know, the conversation with her mother where the mother who made the dad a three-dimensional character, like, from the grave, she goes, hey, yeah, I loved him. And he always came back. Yeah. And, you know, there's a binary way that we want to view these things emotionally and intellectually in the world, but people are complex. (laughs) And I think that, you know what I mean? Like, people people are complex. It's weird. It's different. It is what it is. And the way children view the world, that has to die for you to move on. And so I think it was a lot about change in that way. And I, in that one scene that you mentioned, when it's going back to her and going back to Ted when it's intercut, I'm looking them at looking at them as two kids. Mm-hmm. They did a great job of putting me in whatever spot she was when that happened to her and whatever spot he was when that happened to him. I started actually viewing them as kids living that moment. And it once again, all you want to in any show, I remember leaving Man of Steel mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. It was directed by Zack Snyder. Star Henry Cavill. So is this, is it the Snyder cut of Man of Steel or is it is it just the, just the theatrical? just the regular cut. Okay. This is before, this is pre-Snyder cut nonsense here. I remember in the movie and, you know, Superman Returns was such a fucking soap opera take on Superman that we just wanted Superman to kick somebody's ass. And then Zack Snyder did something different. Zack Snyder said, I have Superman kick everybody's ass. Even people whose ass they didn't know were going to get kicked. Buildings falling on human beings. Superman doesn't care. He cares about General Zod. I remember leaving thinking, that was fun to watch, but I don't fucking care what happens to that Superman. Right. Right. They killed the guy in the next movie, and I was like, all right, well, that seemed abrupt. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, And so... That drove home the fact that the only the only thing that matters in these things is if you care. And I couldn't care more about two people in a scene than I did about Ted and Rebecca. I cared so deeply. I cared about the memory that she was having. I cared about the way she was relating that memory to her mother. When her mother looked at her and said, hey, I'll take your hate over your apathy or over your indifference any day. That's so real. Moms just want to feel Mm-hmm. My mom will call me up and be like, son, remember what happened in 1994? I'm like, I don't want to talk about that. She just wants to make sure that I'm good. She just wants to have a, a moment with me where I get my emotions out to her. Yeah. And that's just real. And the show is, I don't know if any show has dealt with feelings better in, in a long time than this one. I think it's the package it puts it in. It's a strangely confrontational show for an era when there are a lot of confrontational TV shows. Like you would say like, oh, there I, I could name 10 off the top of my head that are a little bit more like going into it and going to scenes from a marriage. And you're like, man, these are going to be some scenes from a marriage and I bet they're not going to be happy. Bet they're yeah. going to be fighting. Oh, you could tell. You I could bet tell. They're, they're going to betray one another. They're going right. to get like, all of it is just going to be <laughs> spilling their spleen out on the table. You would mm-hmm. not expect that from Ted Lasso. You would not expect it from the commercials. You would not expect it really from the first season, which has... It's more or less a sports movie with these incredibly tender moments sprinkled through. This season has been like sports is kind of besides the point. In a weird way, I feel like Rebecca has become Ted in terms of she's got this kind of group around her that rely on her 
and that love her and that she She's loves. She's got her own little diamond yeah, dogs. Yeah, she does have her own little diamond dogs without any of the internecine fighting that the diamond dogs seem to have. Yeah. We're, we're right. like, we're like, Nate is like, I always got to be different and I always got to say something a little bit extra. And also like, I think I'm probably more qualified for this job than Ted. And he may be right. He may be right. But well, he certainly is more qualified. Right. <laughs> he, I mean, he's a better soccer mind for sure. Or football. Excuse me, guys. Well, he wasn't hired to crater the team, which Ted was. Right, right. But, you know, with all of the the jokey one-liners and the kind of the bits it does and, and Rick Astley and all this stuff and the references to different rom-coms, it still is pretty just like that Ted speech. I mean, you talked to, about the Rebecca one. I thought Sudeikis was great in that scene. I thought he mm-hmm. had obviously been building up to doing that scene. It's probably the hardest scene he's ever done as an actor. And I thought he was really, really, really effective about it. Was there anything else you wanted to say about the the funerals, the loss, the father stuff before we get into some of the other like more rom-com elements or at least like the romantic relationship stuff that was happening on the, under the service? No, not really. Uh but I just, I did want to say that, like, uh, Ted has never really shown us rage. I'm trying to think. He's shown great discomfort, and he's been a little short. But he's never really shown us rage. Mm-hmm. The closest thing we got to rage from Ted, and the closest thing that we might ever get, came out during his conversation with Doc. Yeah. He's angry. He's angry. He's still angry for the experiences with his dad is, that he lost. He's still angry. Uh, about his divorce. About his divorce. Like, he's angry. He's angry. He's doing his best. Oh, yeah, Isaac just popped in. He was kind of angry with Jamie mid-season one. True, he was kind of angry with Jamie mid-season one. But, like, when I'm looking at this, I'm looking at him really start to kind of wonder if the Ted Lasso thing is working. Mm-hmm. He's doing his best to be kind. He's doing his best to be sunny. His wife left him. His dad killed himself. At some point, he goes, is it me? Mm-hmm. And let's be honest. like I, He's a lonely dude. Like He's got a yeah. beard. Nate probably wants his job. Mm-hmm. Roy could probably do his job if he wanted to do it. You know? Right. Like, he is only so many months removed from Rebecca trying to get him fired. Right. So, yeah. I mean, and you know, Isaac, you mentioned the Jamie stuff. That scene is much different in season two than it is in season one. In season one, he does the Iverson speech. It's kind of like a great Easter egg if you're a sports fan. Mm-hmm. It's like this amazing moment where you're like, oh, you've recontextualized this thing that Alan Iverson said 20 years ago and made it into like this thing that's that was basically amazing, by the way. about team yeah. building, you know, right. rather than a guy being an individual, although there's a lot of context to the Iverson thing. Mm-hmm. But it's like, <laughs> a lot of context. Um, the season two... <laughs> Oh, here it comes. Here comes the Philly guy. <laughs> look, look, there, there's just a lot of context to the fucking Iverson like, thing. Oh, okay, I got it. Oh, that was so great, guys. I love, I love, just, just, hey, just, you guys, Iverson got a raw deal, but here I go. I love that. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> saying, Jamie Ted confrontation season two Ted Lasso is a much mm-hmm. different animal. It's a lot right. more raw. It's a lot more pointed. People might lose their tempers. So I'll just leave it at that. We could just talk briefly because I thought that this this episode still had a lot going on. Obviously, the Keeley roy jamie triangle, I thought was very well done in, in the sense that Jamie comes up, is like, I want to be the best person of my, version of myself. It obviously makes like an impact on Keeley. She like literally turns around and Roy is like, 
I am the best version of myself. Like here, right. it would have been interesting if Jamie had said that and then Roy had come up and still been a dick, but instead he's just like, hey. Like he was being the whole episode. It would have given her an out, but they yeah. didn't. They didn't do but that. It didn't. Yeah. So right. that's, I think that's effective. That's good storytelling. That'll keep us like kind of like on our toes. I'm still not sure. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, if this is just a three season show, that's one thing. I feel like the Roy Keeley will they, won't they got answered so early on it's a little Pam Jim where you're just like, so these people are just going to be together and just be together for the entire series. They obviously will probably have some troubles, but... I'm glad about that, by the way. Yeah? I don't fuck with that moonlighting shit. I don't dig four seasons of, or whatever it was, four, two seasons, three seasons of, are they going to do it? Get to it. Mm -hmm. Show me how these people fall in love. Yeah. It always bugs me out. Like, you know how Mulder and Scully never quite got it together and you kept waiting to like, oh, I'm like, yo, man. Fucking do it, dog. Like, you only live once. You guys know the aliens are coming. Like, what, yeah, yeah. why are you what wasting are you waiting time? On? Like, <laughs> you know it's all fucking... We, we fucking polishing the brass on the Titanic. It's all going down. Why don't you just fucking go ahead and get to it? Or the cigarette-smoking man gonna fuck... Anyway. Uh, but yeah, so I, I like that they did that. But I also like that they inserted a little strife and a little, you know, mm -hmm. into their relationship. And on the flip of that, I guess Rebecca and Sam is like an example of like, you guys had something, but now Rebecca is like, I need to go find out who I am. And why I don't trust people. And mm -hmm. Sam is just basically like, cool, I'll, I'll wait or whatever. And and I thought that that made sense. I do think that those two performers have a lot of chemistry. I do think that that was like an interesting kind of like you find love in the weirdest places kind of situation. But I noted with interest that it was like they they gave Ted Sassy and Rebecca. I, I for some reason feel like there is still a Ted-Rebecca relationship to have somewhere in here. But maybe it'll just remain. They just remain friends and colleagues. I don't know. Yeah, I was a little disappointed in the, the Rebecca Sam thing just because I like Sam so much that I wanted to see more brought out with Sam's character. I wanted to see Sam deal with, because Sam is like a mini Ted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wanted to see their relationship under the, in the crosshairs of the British tabloid media. And I wanted to see all of that stuff. See, and I, Trent Krim questioning Re Rebecca about that, yeah. Questioning Rebecca. I wanted to see that whole thing. But I think the show it was a good decision probably creatively to pause on that a little bit because you got some stuff that's coming down the pike and that might've been doing a lot storytelling by having the, the, their deal. Because once that does go, I can't think, I was trying to think, is there, do we have ever a situation where the owner of a team has dated a player? No, right? No. Right, no. right. Because they're normally <laughs> all, you know what I mean? So like- not, it, not until we read the next Jeff Perlman book. I don't think right, that's happened, or, no. Right, so that's like a big, that's a big, huge development. And so yeah. it's going to be a big, huge development on the show. So I get why they wanted to give a little bit more oxygen to everybody before they jumped head first into it. I did, however, love Rebecca's Diamond Dog meeting about Sam. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. I loved the Diamond Dog meeting about Sam when everybody's around and there and her mom is there and, you know, her best friend is there, her best friend's daughter is there and they're all talking about it. I I just thought that was an amazing scene. You're in there, girls will be girls. They're having a fun time and they're doing exactly what my guys did for me at my dad's funeral. Just keep it light. Try to keep you laughing, yeah. I, I'm in my dad's funeral and one of my homeboys goes, Van, I'm... Oh, we're at the repass. So he goes, Van, I'm so proud of everything you're doing out there. But he goes, you still should have made those free throws against the <laughs> East Ascension. And I'm like, well, are you going to bring that up now? And he's like, yeah, bro, one of two. If you'd have made both of them, we'd have won that game for sure. But then they came back down, they hit a three. He's like, basically, you like Derrick Rose. I'm like, what? 
He's like, remember that happened to Derrick Rose and then Mario Chambers hit the three? And then we're all, we get to talking about that before you know it's three hours later. Yeah. And I've for one minute forgotten that my father passed away. Sure. And it's the same exact thing, whether they were trying to do it or not trying to do it. And I thought it was very, very touching and realistic as far as what your friends try to do, you know? Yeah, they try to keep it like, I remember this. I mean, I don't remember plenty of things from that weekend, but I do remember driving home to New York where I lived and like we listened. I remember listening to the, an ASAP Mob mixtape. This is like my friends, Sean Fennessy was one of them, was talking about rap for like two hours instead of talking about my dad, which like got my mind off of it, kept it a little that's bit what later. You that's what you and Sean do? Yeah, we talked about ASAP for you, you and Sean sit around. Boy, I, I want to know so much more about you guys. <laughs> you know, like it's so like I keep I always harp on this, but Sean wrote for Vibe. Yeah. So that's just so interesting to me. I just think about Sean sitting down at his desk, like, yo. And, we were and, like the Mike Wallace and Morley Safer of rap. We were just out there just getting <laughs> stories, shoe leather, journalism. <laughs> I, I was thinking Sean writing something and just to let you know Gucci Mane is coming back hard with his latest <laughs> that's not how Sean wrote I know I know I know that's not how you wrote it all I've read this shit he's obviously fantastic but it's just I'm, so I'm thinking about you guys like driving yeah. that's a movie scene listening to the ASAP mod ASAP all right, never mind. We digress. <laughs> Any other observations on uh, no weddings and a funeral before we take off? Nah, man. Um, I like everyone else thought Rick Astley was black. Oh. I'm still not sure if it's uh, well, not not before this episode. I knew, but like yeah. back in the day when I used to hear the song, of course, I thought he was black. Uh, still not sure if that's actually his voice coming out of that body. Can't see it happening. We did we did a lot of weird stuff in the 80s, you know? Like, like it may not have been. Like, it could have been, like, an early Mac computer program. Could have been. Could have been. Um, but no, I, I thought that the real takeaway from this episode is, number one, we care about these characters. We care about what they go through. We care about their relationships with one, one another. And we want to see them heal, which means we got a great show and a transcendent show. And number two, I think this is going to end up being a wire season two type of season two for Ted Lasso. Interesting. What makes you say that? Because I was just like everybody else. Season two of The Wire comes out. I'm like, there's one too many Chris Ryans and Sean Fennessy's on this show. That's right. Me and Ziggy talking about ASAP Mob down by the Baltimore Docks. You and Ziggy <laughs> talking about the ASAP Mob, right? And like, it was one too many of these. And I'm like, this is just not what the show was last season. Yeah. And... Because the show made a little bit of a tonal shift, I didn't appreciate the show for what it was. And I learned a lesson from that. And I never recreated that, right? A show changes, change with the show. Rock with it. Yeah. Rock with what the characters are going through and like appreciate it for what it is. And now I go back and I got to be honest with you, season two of The Wire, it's not just good. It's really great. Yeah, because you see from 10,000 feet how it fits in with the rest of the show. Absolutely. You gotta and also so, understand when season two of The Wire dropped, it's not like we were online the way we are now where people were like, just so you know, here's how it's gonna work in the patchwork of the series. Yeah. Don't worry. It was like, they might not do a season three of The Wire. So season one would be what it was and season two would be what it was. And then like, The Wire was always on the verge of getting canceled until right. like season four. So it was like, people were pretty nervous. Yeah, like, where are the guys that you just made us love and stuff and like, where is all that? So anyway... Uh, so I look at that season as kind of this, and and it's picking up steam, it's getting stronger, and I think the last two episodes of Ted Lasso 
to me, I've, I went back and rewatched the entire second season, and it's just good TV. It's yeah, good TV. I think people have had a hard time watching it week to week after binging the first season. And I think yeah. that this will be a show that if you took a couple weeks off or took the season off and then watched this in a weekend, it's going to feel a lot different than when you're like, okay, so that, that episode was just beard at night out on the streets. Okay, and now I have to wait a week to see another episode. Like It's, it's a different experience for sure. I think that the end of the season is going to get pretty dark. I just mm. think that the, they are heading for a pretty gnarly... Uh, if Nate was going to be like all fixed, it would have happened three episodes ago. Yeah, or four episodes right. ago. So they are still Dude, letting that so linger right. and they are still letting that kind of percolate. And I thought that the Rupert thing was pretty ominous. It's also a question about whether or not like this is a three season show or not. It's always been conceived as a three season show. I think they always looked at it as like the UK office or as the aforementioned original Star Wars trilogy or whatever, like a beginning, a middle, and an end. If this thing is such a juggernaut that they got to do four or five seasons, they feel like they want to keep doing it, then they may they may adjust how, how things are going. But technically, I thought what was going to happen was they were going to get relegated, they were going to come back up, and then they were going to win the Premier League like Leicester, and it was going to be this Cinderella story. I don't know if that's going to be the case anymore. I don't know. It's one of the biggest shows on TV. I don't know if they're just going to wrap it up next season. They won't. Last thing I'll say is this. They won't. It's all business. And I'm not even talking about business just because they got a hit show. This show opened up. It broke Apple for me. I told yeah. you. Like, yeah. I wasn't watching anything on Apple. I'm not going right. to fucking watch C. I said, come in here and Caligo's watching C. You got Jason Momoa and these blindies kicking people's asses. I'm like, I've seen Blind Fury. Like, I don't like, you know what I mean? I've seen Rucker Howard did it. Like, I don't need to go back and, and do it again. And so, uh, but now... I'm watching Ted Lasso and it's just, it's so weird how easy I am to make me loyal to a brand. I'm like, oh, what else is on Apple? Hmm. Yeah, right. And now you you're know? just, and now I'm there. You're so just dialing I'm, up Joseph Gordon-Levitt shows now. The whole fucking thing. And so they need, it's so competitive out there in the landscape. They need a little bit more of that. Yeah. So yeah, you will get a season four of Ted Lasso if you were to ask me. Well, we'll be back next week to discuss episode 11. Uh, until then, Van, Greyhound Gang, Wolf Wolf, we were produced by Isaac Lee coming from the Ringer Podcast Network mobile unit. Thank you very much to Isaac. <laughs> and we will talk to you guys next week about Ted Lasso. Bye.